You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We are continuing through our series on the Gospel of John. Uh, We've been going through this pretty much the whole time I've been at Holy Cross uh, in a lot of little mini-series. And this week we're on the mission, uh, three weeks uh, on mission with Jesus. You know, you might think at first about missionaries, and that, that would be a good thought. We're talking a little more specifically or generally, I guess, than that, about generally the life on mission as Christians, uh, wherever we are here and now, rather than just international missions with that. And we're in John chapter 15, a uh, famous passage, the vine and the branches and love one another as I've loved you. Uh, but we're a little bit after that. We're in the, the hating part. <laughs> uh, he's just talked about love and now he talks about something else. So we're in John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. Uh, Read along with me uh, from God's word, silently, from God's word this morning. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they're also going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they're going to do to you on account of my name, because they don't know who sent me. If I hadn't come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I hadn't done among them the works that no one else did, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that's written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And I've said these things, all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray together. Uh, Dear Lord, Father God, we we remember your words this morning. Um, Maybe these confusing or difficult words, these challenging words about how we're going to be hated. Lord, help us to read them this morning as a comfort and a challenge. Help us to uh, hear your word speak to us again, that we might remember what you said to us and and rest in it as your children, as those whom you've chosen. In In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe an exercise you've done at school before uh, or, or at home or with the therapist, I don't know. Uh, when you sometimes think about what would you say to yourself in a year? What would you write to yourself a year from now? Maybe you, I did this, I think, in elementary school. You write a letter to yourself, you know, like as you're graduating high school or something. Uh, wisdom to your future self. Things you want yourself to remember uh, that you knew at a younger age. Uh, maybe you think about that right now, right? What would you write to yourself 20 years from now? What would you tell yourself uh, that you know now that you wanted to make sure you remembered or understood 20 years from now with with 20 years difference of life experience? Uh, This is sort of what's going on in this passage here today. Jesus is writing to us, speaking actually to the future church. He's writing and saying, hey, you don't need this now, but you're going to need this information as you live on mission with me. 
here's some important intel you're going to need to know down the road. And he's writing this to us as the church today. And, and, and what does he have to say to us? Well, as in this passage, our, our main idea is that we're on mission with Jesus. And as we're on mission, we bear witness to him. But he tells us really three things about how it is going to go when we bear witness, right? This, this basic mission to bear witness to Christ, to tell people about what Jesus has done in our lives. That's our basic mission. And he tells us, how is that going to go for you? What's that going to look like in your life? He tells us three things. He says, as followers of Christ, we're not going to fit in when we're on mission, that the Holy Spirit is going to help us, and that we're going to need Christ's word. We're going to need to remember his word in order to make it. That when we're on mission, we should expect to not fit in. <laughs> the world's going to hate us. When we're on mission, when we're bearing witness with Christ, we can't do it alone. The Holy Spirit has come to help us. And when we're on mission bearing witness to Christ, uh, we're going to have to remember his words in order to make it. He's got three big points for us as we look at what it's going to look like for us to live on mission. Let's, let's dive in starting in verse 18. Open up your uh, Bible with me there. Um, verse 18, he's telling us that as followers of Christ, we're not going to fit in. As followers of Christ, we're not going to fit in around us. Confusing stuff, confusing stuff. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. This is a comfort and a challenge. Uh, he says, look, when, when things don't go your way, when you don't fit in in your school, when you don't fit in in your classroom, when you don't fit in with your coworkers and your neighbors, whenever you, the world hates you, know that I already went through this ahead of you. I already went through this a whole lot worse than you. Now, some of you don't fit in because you're just weird. But he's instead, he's not talking about that. He's, he's talking about when we don't fit in because of our convictions as Christians, right? We have a lot of beliefs, a lot of things we believe as Christians that are just radically offensive to the world around us. Maybe not at face value, sometimes at face value, right? Like the basic message that you need to be saved from something and that you're going to die if you don't. That's pretty offensive, right? Like, that can be really offensive to people. And he says, like, don't be surprised when you don't fit in because of this basic convictions you have as Christians. You know, we should expect that. Um, and this is actually, when we, when we are hated by the world, this is actually a sign, maybe, on some level, that we're doing what we should be doing. When we when we're, don't fit in with our society, when we're hated by the world, this might be even in some ways a sign that we're following Christ's teaching, right? Did Jesus fit in? Kind of. He had followers, but also they wanted to kill him. So this is the same sort of tension we're living in. When we don't fit in with our society, this is a sign that we're maybe doing something right. And he, he comforts us with this. In verse 19, he says, of course you're not going to fit in because you're not of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. This is the challenge we all have as Christians to be in the world, but not of the world. He says, I chose you out of the world. You, you specifically, Garrett, Tim, Hannah, whatever your name is, I chose you specifically out of the world to be mine. And you might currently be in the place you're in. Think about your school, uh, your neighborhood, your, your employer. Think about the places that you are in, in the middle of day in and day out. And he says, you're in that place, but you are not of that place. I have chosen you and you are now of something else. Your identity as a Christian is no longer 
in your profession. It's no longer in your last name. It's no longer in your hobbies or interests or what you're good at or what you're bad at or your past history. Your identity as a Christian isn't in any of those things. It's in me. This is, this is how we are to understand ourselves as Christians, as primarily not Garrett, someone who talks a lot and is from the Southeast. No, but Garrett, a Christian, someone who is of Christ. And he says, of course, if you're in the world and you're not of it, they're going to hate you because everyone around you has no other way to understand themselves except by what they've done, except by their accomplishments. This is the only way we have to understand ourselves, maybe except by our inner truth. Whatever, whatever people are searching for outside of Christ to identify themselves in, and, and this is just fundamentally different if we're Christians. And he says in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. That's a big word. Persecute? What does that mean? Sometimes we think like, man, I just got a paper cut. Like, man, I'm really being persecuted today. I'm really like down on my luck. That is not what this is talking about. Persecution is an attack because of your convictions, right? It is not just, I got a flat tire and like things are really not shaken out for me. No, persecution is when you are attacked because of what you believe, do, or say. That's, that's persecution. Sometimes maybe we can overplay our persecution card. We can overly think like people just really don't like me because I'm a Christian. Like, well, really? Is it just because you're a Christian or because you're a jerk? Like, it, you know, like there, there's lots of times where maybe we are overly sensitive to thinking we're being persecuted. Uh, but at the same time, he says, you know, they persecuted me first. Christ did nothing wrong. And yet he was absolutely punished for uh, doing things right. He's absolutely made an actual victim for doing things right, for his convictions. He goes through actual persecution, um, and, and he struggles with that. We, we also are not supposed to seek persecution in and of an end as itself. This was actually a challenge that early church faced. Uh, they heard this message. They heard these words of Jesus. They heard about being a martyr, someone who dies to your faith. And they were so excited. This is not our problem today, normally. They were so excited that they were like, man, yes, I'm not a real Christian unless I die for Jesus. And like, they, we have to write First and Second Thessalonians, right? They're kind of about this, about like, hey, you don't have to actually literally die for Jesus right now in order to be a good Christian. Uh, Polycarp, this early church historian, writes, and like they had this huge problem where Christians thought, I weren't, they're not really a Christian unless they die for Jesus. And, and they had to calm down and say, no, 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 you, you can live a good Christian life if you're not literally burned at the stake for his name. That's a different struggle. So, so we might struggle in thinking everything's persecution, and we might struggle too much in seeking to like be a martyr for Christ. We're called instead to live in the world, but not be of it, and to expect things are not going to go our way. We're not going to fit in. You know, as we live on mission, as we seek to bear witness, to tell our neighbors, to explain who Jesus is, we should expect hardship. We shouldn't be surprised by it. This is one of the, the big challenges and comforts of this passage, is that the one thing we should expect is that people aren't going to like what we have to say on some level. People aren't going to like the stumbling block of the cross, this message about a man whose father killed him and sacrificed him for our sin. Like, that's going to be offensive, and we shouldn't be surprised when it is. 
And there's a challenge for us there as we look at maybe our current cultural trends. Maybe, maybe you're worried. Maybe I'm sure all of us in the last couple of years have maybe been worried at different cultural moments. Or maybe you have a friend or family member who's deeply worried by kind of where our culture seems to be going. There's a couple tendencies. One, we could look and say, like, we're just going to be persecuted for Christians. The world hates us. And we could just kind of be upset by that. This passage says, don't, don't be upset by that. Like, be encouraged by that. You're maybe doing the right thing when that's happening. We could also look at those moments and, and, and just sort of say, well, maybe we should change what we believe as a church and, and, and instead fit in with the culture. And we don't, we don't want to do that either. You know, uh, this, is, this is what we're called to do is to bear witness about Christ. This is living on mission. Bear witness about what we believe, even when we know we're going to be hated for it. And, and he tells us this. He goes on to describe in verses 22, 3, 4, and 5 about what's going to happen with his followers. He, he d- digs into these verses and starts explaining that you really can't apply them to us today too clearly because they're, they're written to the early church about the Jewish culture that they lived in and how these Jews were going to turn on the early church. See, Jesus was a Jewish person writing to Jewish people in a Jewish society, and his disciples were Jews. And after he came back from the dead and ascended to heaven, his disciples went into Jewish synagogues, their kind of churches of the day, and tried to tell people this amazing, wonderful, good news. The Messiah has come at last. He's set us free from our sin. He's he's freed us from the, the debt of the law. And what happened? They were kicked out of the temple. They were kicked out of synagogues. And he writes and he says, look, when this kind of stuff happens to you, even by people who think they're doing the right thing, don't be upset. Don't be broken by that. It's okay to hurt, but know that people are going to hate you. People are not going to like what, they, what you have to say because before you, there was Christ. And Christ, they didn't like either. An important message as we think about maybe your own, maybe you're getting like upset thinking about persecution in the America today or something like that. We, we kind of have a challenge as to how do we react to that, right? And we can look to Christ for that. Earlier in this chapter, he's told us, chapter 15, verse 12, that the, the main thing we're supposed to do is abide in his love, that we're supposed to love one another as he has loved us. So you think about how Christ responded to persecution, responded to hatred in his day. And we've got a lot of modern examples of responding to hatred with love, right? Like Gandhi and MLK and some, some secular ones too. But Christ is the ultimate example here. He's, he's hated with all the hatred the world could muster. He's killed as an unjustly. And yet, how does he respond? Like, does he fire off some awesome tweets to really burn them? Does he, like, rally up and, like, take over the media and say whatever he wants to say? No, does he, like, gain political power? No, he's killed on a cross. He dies. He, he responds to hatred with love. Something that even the world can see is, like, radically powerful. This is the power behind the, this whole Christian message, that he responds to hatred itself with love. This is my command, verse 12. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. As we encounter hatred in the world, our calling is not to respond with more and bigger and stronger hatred, but to respond with the love of Christ. That's how we're going to bear witness to Christ. And that's this amazing challenge for us. There's a challenge. As we are in the world, if we fit in too much, maybe we're not bearing witness at all. If we're not hated at all on some level, maybe we're not bearing witness. 
But if we're just only hated, maybe we're not bearing witness with love. You know, in the, the last couple of years, I, I, I was worried for a long time that the church's biggest problem was sort of slipping on truth, that we were eroding at the fundamentals of our faith. I think now I'm much more concerned, personally at least, about us not eroding at the, not us in particular here at Holy Cross, but the broader American church. I'm not as concerned about the church eroding the fundamentals of what we believe and our convictions as trying to bear witness to Christ without love. You know, I think that's a, a real challenge that we face, an ongoing one in each of our lives, that we say what we believe and we mean it and we stick to it, but we say it with love. You know, this is our command that we're to, to love one another and to be known for our love. And if we can tell someone the good news and it's no longer good news because of the way we say it, then, then we've missed the whole point of the message itself. If we just come to tell people what we're against, just speak with condemnation, then we haven't understood grace at all. This is not the good news we bring that just that you're a sinner and you've messed up no matter how wrong someone's lifestyle is. No, the good news is that no matter how messed up I have been, Christ has forgiven me. And this is, this is what we're to bear witness. This is what we're on, on mission for. And that's the message that we might even still be hated for. But he tells us, how are we going to do that? How are we going to live that out as salt and light in the world? How are we going to do that? In verse 26, he continues. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to help us. God's Holy Spirit is going to help us. Verse 26, when the Helper comes, him I'm going to send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he's going to bear witness about me. He tells us when, when this thing happens. It's already happened for us. It happened back in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. God's Holy Spirit came down on people. It was such a dramatic moment. It looked like they were on fire. It's a crazy thing. They started speaking in languages. People thought they were drunk, but they weren't. It was like 9 a.m. in the morning. The Holy Spirit comes down on his people. And, and now we have this question, is the Spirit in you? Well, yes. Yes, if you're a believer in Christ, his Spirit is in you today. This is some weird Christian hocus-pocus we believe in. This is one of our convictions, that God's Holy Spirit dwells in your heart uh, if you are a believer today, right now. We don't need to go around asking ourselves, does that Christian really have the Spirit? If they're a Christian, they have the Spirit. They have God's Holy Spirit in them. And in this passage, he calls them a helper, right at the beginning of verse 26, when the helper comes. This word only shows up like three times in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit. It's really helpful to understand the helper. It's really helpful to understand what we mean by the Holy Spirit. The, the Greek is paraclete, an alongsider, uh, a legal counsel. This is a technical word that was used, John's audience would have known it, uh, from court. This is a legal term. This is a defense attorney. It's someone who sits with someone who's been accused of a crime at the table with them in front of a judge and stands up to speak on their behalf to the judge. This is someone who knows the legal system. They know the arguments, right? We can all picture a defense attorney. Hopefully you haven't had to use one recently. But imagine you've been convicted of a crime, right? And you don't know the system. You don't know how to, when you get to talk to a lawyer, you don't know if you get a phone call. You don't know how to do this. You call your lawyer. And, and, the Holy Spirit is this helper, this paraclete, this one who sits at the table next to us, who's there to help us through the way, who's there to bear witness to Christ on our behalf and, and help us as we seek to do that same thing. And, and this helper proceeds from the Father uh, and his purpose at the end of verse 26 is one thing. The Holy Spirit is there to bear witness about Christ. 
You know, as we think about the Holy Spirit, some people, maybe your blood pressure went up a little bit. You're like, oh gosh, we're we talking about like tongues and miracles or what? Like, what are we doing in here? Uh, in the church, you know, sometimes the discussion of the Holy Spirit gets like so dramatic. We, we really want this like dramatic, miraculous thing every time we think about the Holy Spirit. And yet the main function, it's right here, main function of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness about Christ. If when we think about God's Holy Spirit, uh, what we're thinking of doesn't point us to Christ, then we're not thinking of the Holy Spirit. If your picture of the Holy Spirit is only miraculous signs and miracles and, and doesn't point you deeper to, to the person of Jesus, then this is not God's Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit is, is here to do and what uh, it will do, right? Uh, we, we can sometimes fall into two camps as when we think about the Holy Spirit. People who think of only the miraculous and only the exceptional and only the dramatic, right? I remember one time I went to a a certain type of church service with a cast on and they want to like cut the cast off and see if I had enough faith to walk if the Holy Spirit had healed me. That might be one example, one into the spectrum. The other one is probably us, right? Presbyterians, when we don't talk about the Holy Spirit at all and we just don't think the Holy Spirit does anything today. And we don't want to do either of those things. Instead, uh, we want to understand that the main purpose of God's Holy Spirit is to, the same as ours, to live on mission, to bear witness, uh, bear witness to who Christ is to illuminate God's word, to illuminate God's scripture. How is it that we expect Christians all over the world to open up this 2,000-year-old book written in a different language with weird words and strange and hard to comprehend ideas and arrive at the right understanding? Through God's Holy Spirit. There's no other way. That's, that's the main role of the Holy Spirit, is the illumination of scripture. That's how we believe that it's, this is actually understandable and readable. So anyways, that, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, and it points us to Christ, points us to Christ, and, and bears witness to Jesus. And this is our mission as well. As we bear witness to, to Christ, we're to do so, right, in, lo in, in love. And I think about the Holy Spirit, you know, I love 1 Corinthians 13, great example, passage that's normally read at, uh, at weddings. The, the church in Corinth they were on the, the, crate, the end of the spectrum that would have cut my cast off. You know, they really liked the miraculous stuff. And uh, he says to them about these miraculous gifts and works, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, I'm a, noisy I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away everything I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It's this dramatic and powerful reminder that as Christians, it doesn't matter what signs you, know, you think you've seen, what, what powers we think we have through the Holy Spirit, none of it matters if we don't point to Christ, if we don't remember the central truth of Christ's love. If we don't get that, then we have missed the actual message we're trying to proclaim. So we're, we're asked, we have to ask ourselves, do I actually have love? Do I actually know this love of Christ? As I'm on mission, as I'm bearing witness about the work of Jesus, am I actually understanding this love for myself, right? Am I actually practicing this in my own life? In this chapter, I already mentioned it in 15, chapter 15, verse 12, he's already commanded us, he's already told us, you know, have love among yourselves. Love each other as I have loved you. 
Uh, and this is, this is it, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Is this what our lives are marked by? Not always, but, but hopefully uh, that we can, we can live up to this impossible task that Christ has tasked us with. And so, yeah, th- this is the work of the Holy Spirit today, to, to bear witness to Christ as we open up God's word, as we sit there in those conversations, as we try to bear witness. We have a helper. We have the third person of the Trinity right there with us, helping, like that defense attorney, standing up to speak for us, uh, filling out paperwork for us, uh, answering all these hard-to-answer legal questions for us. We have God's own Holy Spirit alongside us um, today as we bear witness. So how are we going to fulfill this mission? Point three, uh, verse 16. So we're going to have to remember Christ's words in order to make it. Verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I've said all of this stuff to keep you from falling away. So there's a real, real problem here that some of the people he's writing to and some of the people who maybe you've grown up with as Christians tend to fall away. This is a real observable phenomenon, something that's not crazy. It happens all the time, right? Uh, people grow up in the church. Uh, they are maybe baptized. They're members of the church, and then they leave. They fall away, right? Lots of people are members of the visible church, but not truly members of the church, not truly believing in Christ, what we sometimes call the invisible church. Sometimes we see people in the pews, but they don't actually, we don't actually believe in Christ. And he's telling us, I'm writing you all of this so that you're not one of these people, so that you hear this, you accept this, you understand this, and you don't fall away. A lot of what we do at church, a lot of what we do in discipleship is preventative maintenance, you know, like think about your car. Maybe sometimes, maybe you don't. But you need to take it to get the oil changed before, you know, before it just explodes on the side of the road. Maybe you go to the oil change place and they're like, hey, man, you really got to like change this belt or whatever. Otherwise, you're going to be stranded. Hey, like your tires are completely bald. And sometimes they're upselling you, but sometimes they're just trying to keep you from getting broken down. We need preventative maintenance. A lot of what we do as Christians is actually preventative maintenance. You know, there's a real blessing and a real benefit here and now. But a lot of what we do is to, so that when things get hard, we're actually there. You know, we experience trials and tragedies. And then that's the, the hardest and maybe the worst time to try to learn about Christ. A lot of what we do in discipleship is to understand this truth about Christ before things get hard. Verse uh, 2, he says, they're going to kick you out of church. He's talking to his disciples in his day. They had to go, they are now with Jesus, but they're about to go through this incredibly hard period where they're going to be kicked out of their friends and kicked out, leave their family for this belief that they have in Christ. And he says that in verse 3, all this is going to be done because the people who are oppressing them, who are persecuting them, don't understand God. They don't understand who Jesus is from. But in verse 4, he says, I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you might remember that I told them to you. This is why we read God's word in advance of the hard days. This is why we do discipleship. You know, whether that's discipling your family and teaching your kids the truths we believe before tragedy strikes. This is why we we seek to learn how to read the Bible on our own in our student ministries. This is why, as adults, we have to open up God's Word and dig deep into the spiritual disciplines. This is why, as, as believers, we have to live in a community, uh, in, in homes and in meals and in games and fun together, live our lives rooted in a community 
so that when tragedy comes, when things get hard, when it feels like we don't fit in, we have somewhere to fall on. We have something to turn back to so that we don't just fall away. We're, we're going to have to remember Christ's words in order to make it. You know, this, this means that as we bear witness to Christ, we can expect to do thi- things to not go our way. We can expect to be hated, but we'll have a place to turn back to. And we could think maybe about like boot camp or something here. I'm not a military guy. Some of you probably are. It's Tucson. But, uh, you know, we think about like this thing that the military puts you through at the beginning of your service, right? To like train you, to make you stronger, to, to help you guys grow together and everything. And then you have this training to fall back on when things get harder uh, later down the road. This is sort of a big part of how discipleship works in the church, that it's this long, slow process that is not always interesting or fun, as much as we try to make it fun. It is this slow, long process of discipleship, week in and week out, faithful presence in the church that trains us for when things get hard so that we can remember Christ's words and not fall away. And so we need to ask ourselves, how are we, how am I preparing as a Christian? How am I soaking up God's word now so that I don't fall away, right? Lots of examples I've already mentioned of, of pathways for discipleship we're trying uh, to, to help equip each other with here at Holy Cross, from our, our life groups to our 52 tables, right? You can learn how to have dinner with somebody and not be weird, uh, to, our, um, to, to our student ministry and our children's ministry and our prayer services and, and things that are not always done for the immediate short-term, what does it give me right now? But for the long-term preparation that I can remember Christ's word and have this basis to fall back on when things get hard. Because as he says, when we're on mission, if I'm bearing witness about Christ, things are going to be hard. We're going to be hated. And we have to remember this in order to fall away. We have to remember his work and his word. Um, And so what does this mean for us? Well, overall, we're called to bear witness to Christ even when we're hated for it, right? This is, our, this is what it means to be on mission with Christ. It doesn't mean you have to go and move to another continent or country to be a missionary. It doesn't mean you have to give away all of your money right now or anything like that. No, uh, to bear witness to Christ, to live on mission for Christ, is to, to hold fast to our convictions in a culture that is changing. To hold fast to our convictions with our neighbors, with our friends, and to, to live out of love as we do that to remain true to the actual message that we're proclaiming. That we bear witness, not just some concrete truths we hold separately in a confession or something, but to bear witness to the person of Jesus, the love of Christ, the sacrifice on the cross of the only sinless Son of God uh, in our place. And as we do that, uh, we know we're not going to fit in, right? We are not going to fit in. Uh, We are going to be sent His Holy Spirit to help us, and we are going to have to remember his words in order to make it. You know, as we expect to not fit in, there's a comfort and a challenge there. A comfort that if you don't fit in for what you believe, you're maybe doing something right. And a challenge that if we're entirely comfortable here and now, if we entirely fit in, maybe we've compromised on what we should be believing. So there's a comfort and a challenge there. And then we can remember that his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is here to help us. They're to stand alongside us, 
to bear witness, not just by what I know or my own experience or what I've said, but by uh, what God has said. That as we walk into conversations and relationships, we have God's Holy Spirit to help us explain God's word and truth. And then we're going to have to remember Christ's words in order to make it. Uh, this is a challenge. You know, it's so hard in the middle of, of any kind of witnessing moment, in the middle of any kind of conversation to actually remember Christ's words. As we think about those moments, we sometimes get angry, right? As we feel attacked or persecuted, we want to respond, you know, with a bigger attack um, and be bigger and stronger. And yet our challenge is to remember Christ and his word and his sacrifice. That as we look to Jesus, we see the ultimate picture of what it means to be persecuted. And yet the ultimate, even bigger picture of what it means to show love uh, to the world. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.